How many of you, bu- how many of you buy lottery tickets? Nobody's going to admit it here. I, uh. I mean, I think lottery is awful. You should never do it, but I buy them sometimes because I figure 50 million would be cool to have to spend for the kingdom. So deal with it. Well, Jesus and I can talk later, but I'm sure it would be cool to build things here and do things here. And uh, I remember Bill Johnson saying something. Is there money in here I can use? Uh, oh, here, here's five, ten dollars. I'll use that. This is unrehearsed. Um, oh, and I, you know, I remember because the, the Pentecostals are really good at raising money. Um, and uh, you know, he's, he would just sort of say, you know, these five dollars—they've probably been used by many, many people. They've probably been used to buy candy and buy beer and buy vodka and buy dope. Maybe buy sex. Maybe buy groceries. But when it's in my hand, I have a choice as how to use it. And I can either use it for the kingdom or I can use it for other stuff. And in a sense, that's very much the way God, I think, calls us to be. That uh, we are ultimately, um, Randy Clark talks about, we are change, small change in God's pocket. And we can say, Lord, use me. And the point of the resurrection, the point of Easter is God wanting to reveal his kingdom to people so that they become available to him. And placed in his hand, we just say, Lord, spend me. Spend me for things that bring life. Spend me for things that actually bring life to others. You have no other reason to exist on this earth other than to be used by God. You get to the end of your life and you've just used it for yourself. Yeah, there's going to be some questions. It's not a threatening, I'm not giving you a threatening fear thing, I'm just naming it. How we spend our life we will give an answer for. I don't usually speak like this. I quite like this. But, um, you know, there's there's, there's part of us, there's part of us that um, has to come to terms with the God who's fierce and who does battle as well as the good, good Father. And we need to know both aspects of God. You know, if your father is is a company director um, and you run into his office, people say, you can't run into his office, but you can if he's your dad. And when you run into his office, you don't run into your dad's office. Who is CEO? And this is what religion does. And you suddenly go, I've got to be on my perfect behavior. And I stand before you and say, oh, great CEO, I thank you that you are my father. You know, you need healing if that's where you are. But for many of us, that's what we think. And we don't understand that, yes, God is the CEO, but he's also your father. So when you run in, he says, hey, hi there, buddy. And we need both. You know, the Old Testament shows God's wrath and his anger against evil. The Old Testament is showing God's anger and his wrath and the way he works with the people who are in total rebellion to him. Now We often say, why does God behave like that? He kills people and he says, I don't understand the fullness of that, but I do think that the Old Testament is a reflection of what happens with people who run amok, who take laws and make them rules, become religious, then want their own way, and in a very brutal way, we become very brutal. And God actually comes into that brutality in the person of Jesus to say, enough. You were not created for this. And last week, we, we, we shared how, how God entered into in Jesus to that place of, and there's nothing, uh, you know, ISIS and Romans were probably similar. People would be, have their heads cut off. They would be nailed to the walls of cities. You want to see brutality? Look at the Old Testament. Look at the people around whom Jesus lived and worked. Life is cheap. 
He knows all about unfairness. He knows all about the brutality of human nature that can de- degenerate down to an ISIS mentality or uh, you know, ethnic cleansing. Those are human beings. Those are not God. That's human beings corrupted and, and brutalized with evil. We are capable of atrocities that are just terrible. You are. Put you in the circumstance where some of these people have grown up, you and I would be doing the same thing. Let's not kid ourselves. We are virtuous. Within us lies a corruption that is brutal and terrifying. And Jesus came into that place and he said, uh, I will take the punishment of everyone. I will take what you deserve. You deserve judgment. You deserve to die. You deserve to die, not because you haven't killed anyone, because maybe you haven't done anything. Maybe you've been selfish all your life. Maybe you've just been self-absorbed. I'm just trying to pull stuff out to shock you and irritate you. and go. But not me, Lord, little Jack Horner sitting in the corner. Yes, you. With what you've been given in life, you've, what, you've, what, you've, what you've actually delivered with the life you've given, you should be shot. You've had so much privilege, so much opportunity. I'm just speaking up, you know, me. And Jesus, Jesus comes into that. Because you see, unless I, have a, I, unless I have a very real and deep awareness of my depravity, I will never have a deep awareness of his grace. I will never appreciate I'll just go, oh, well, he's, he's jolly lucky to have part of me. Played squash with a guy yesterday, and I always tease these guys, and he's sitting there. He's very successful. I really like him, even if he's a South African. And he's, a, and, and he's talked about God. I said, they need to, he says, they need to, you know, said, God's going to get you one day. Because we were talking about diets, and he said, the only way of a diet is you, they say, to keep a diet is in the kitchen, not in the gym. Don't eat, don't eat bread, don't eat rice, don't eat all the things that are nice. And I said, yeah, you'll quote to me, but when I start quoting to you, you'll get angry, won't you? Because he knows I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. And so he just laughs. And he says, well, I do. When I hit my thumb, I say, Jesus. But God is passionate for reaching everyone, for everyone. And we need to know, um, I wasn't going to start here. Who cares? Um, But but he he wants us to know the depth of his love for us. Uh, last, Last week, we did that uh, when Bill couldn't find the note. I put a note into some mucky stuff and said, you know, the, the, note, the, the, the note that I hold in my hand that's clean and the note that you find in the mucky stuff, they both have the same value. And you have incredible value to God. And one of the reasons we get unstuck and one of the reasons we get lost is we start defining ourselves by the world that we are in, not by the God who actually loves us. And so we become discouraged. We beca- I wonder how many people here this morning are discouraged. But deep inside, you're actually quite depressed. You're quite, you feel like it's all gone by on the other side. And, it, and, and, and I irritate you, which is another matter, but could cross over. Because you want what... You, you, I would love to know God like that, but it never seems to happen. And as we were playing the one song, I think I got a revelation of Jesus saying, you know, why, do you know why... It was it's the lion that after the lion and the lamb. Do you know why they went into the grave and they found the grave closed there? Never thought of this before. I mean, he didn't need to leave the grave closed there because to show us that he had risen. He wasn't there. I think he said, I left the grave closed there because I didn't need them anymore. And I think he also said, you know, before my resurrection appearance, I did another, another costume change. Because when I left that grave, if you had seen me, you would have been terrified because I was armed for battle. And I went into a place of battle, the like of which you have never seen. 
And I went there as a warrior king to do battle for all eternity, of which it's a total mystery. And we pick up the story on the third day where Mary is distraught. She's the one who had been forgiven much and washed his feet and was absolutely distraught of this was my hope. This was my man. Not in a sexual way, although I, I think there might have been a tension there. Jesus is fully human. But nothing that crossed boundaries, just identifying human need. And Mary is, is broken. And she comes to this, it's dark, and she comes to this garden tomb with no expectation other than great sorrow. And this is what I love about the Bible because what's most encouraging is what you read in between the lines, what you read around the story where people like you and me are grappling with something way too big for them. I get so tired of people who dismiss God and say, well, you know, it's not possible. And I I just want to shake them. And go, you know, I never met such arrogance as you. I mean, your pinhead brain if that's where the limit of God is, is housed, there won't be a God. God, by definition, is way beyond our understanding, beyond religion. So Jesus, well, it's not it's Jesus, but she doesn't know it because she's looking at this tomb saying it's over. I better get some notes here. I wanted to, s- to start off by talking about the actually the, the we live in these two extremes. The one is I never experience God. The other is I'm seeking experience after experience after experience because I'm looking for a magic formula that one day I'm going to walk up to the front, somebody's going to lay hands on me, I'm going to go to conference, somebody's going to lay hands on me, and I'm going to be like Jesus. How many of you are still waiting for that? Good luck. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You're going to walk up and you're going to ask God to, to give you the presence and the power of His Spirit so that you can become all that He had and you're going to walk through life just like those disciples. That's why it's so important to come to terms with that God is in the midst of the mundane and He becomes extraordinary. And these guys were living in mundane life, Middle East, no TV, no Facebook, nothing. They actually had to talk to one another. And they went, they, she went to this tomb and what happens? She's crying early on the first day of the week while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. When John writes, every word he says has meaning. While it was still dark, what does that mean? It was not morning, we know that. It also means, because John emphasizes it, it was still dark means they had no idea what was happening. They felt like they were in darkness. All their hopes had been dashed. Everything about their lives had been smashed. This wasn't glorious, it was awful. And you go, well, Jesus, why didn't you sit down with them and tell us? And he said, I did tell you. I told you I'd rise again on the third day. I told you this and I told you that. You didn't have any paradigm to believe it, so you forgot it. And then you remembered it later. And Mary's at this tomb and she's she's weeping and she says this. she, She saw the stone had been removed from the entrance, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put them, put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb and both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I don't know why John puts that in. I do always laugh at that. I got to, I beat Peter. I want everybody to know, even though he didn't know this was going to be for all time. 
I wonder if Peter's still saying, John, why did you put that in? Running faster than you, Peter. He bent over and looked in on the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Why? Because he was a little nervous. He's the poet. Peter's the thug, and so Peter goes in. Then Simon Peter came up behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He said this twice now. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. You want a proof text? There's a proof text. What is it, what's a proof text of? We are first Bible-believing church. We are Bible-believing Christians. Well, Bible-believing Christians crucified Jesus. Bible-believing believers crucified Jesus. The Jewish uh, synagogue, the Jewish nation of that time, I'm not dispersing anything other than they are human and they, they got it wrong. They were totally Bible-believing. And if you, fa- if you place your whole life on the Bible, you will crucify Jesus. I know I'm, I'm deliberately provoking you here. What do you mean, John? If you place your whole Bible, your whole life on the Bible, you will go into heresy and you will miss what God has. Why? Because the Bible is an account of God's relationship with human beings that is meant to lead us into revelation of encounter with the living God. And if you have the Bible verse without the experience, you will just be a Pharisee and you will be a pain in the butt and nobody will want to follow you because you're irritating. Paul says you're a noisy gong. Why? Because you don't have love. And why do you get love? You only get love from the the resurrected Jesus and his spirit living in you. It's not a good to love when you agree with me. It's got to, how do you love when I kill your brother or your sister or, or something goes wrong? How does love rise up in an extraordinary way? That's the resurrection of Jesus. That was the witness of the first century Christians. Do you understand what you get in the Bible? You get the Old Testament and then you get Jesus' revelation and you get this re- remarkable laying down of his life and the resurrection and, and then he comes and he appears and that's what we're talking about this morning. And then you get what? Acts. And why do you get Acts? Because Acts is where that... Spirit incarnated in human beings who are becoming little Jesuses, which is why in Antioch they were called Christians. They were little Christs. They didn't say, what should we call ourselves? Let's start a movement. What should our logo be? What about the cross? No, that's barbaric. They, would, they had a fish. They didn't think of the cross. They weren't that aware. They weren't interested in that. They were people who were beginning to smolder and come to life with the presence of Jesus in them. If you actually come to that garden tomb, I, I wanted to show you a picture. I've forgotten the picture. I've got to show you a movie. Um, it's like somebody gathering dry pieces and then the spark is Jesus and he starts blowing on it and starts flaming and the sp- flame starts spreading and through acts the flame starts spreading and it goes through persecution and Stephen dying and it goes through Paul and Paul becoming Christian and then Paul was too objectionable. He had so much of the word, the Old Testament word in him and he was so intellectual that he went into, I'm sure with Peter, Peter probably shook his head and said, oh God, why did you have to bring him here? Because he's talking way above Peter's intellectual level. Peter's into just let's go do and Paul is processing so what happens? He gets sent off to Tarsus. He gets sent off for 14 years. For those of you who get discouraged but God not using you, maybe you need to be in Tarsus. Maybe he needs got to deal with some things. 
And what happens? You have Acts. It's all about God breathing his life into a church and raising it up. When you get to Paul, this is where most evangelicals live, Romans, it's theology. Paul has had time to process experience and then in, in explain what is this like. Why did Jesus die? Why did he get resurrected? But many evangelical Christians spend all their time in Romans. They're in the Word. They don't have the experience. And they poo-poo experience. And all the education I had did that. You diminish experience and you elevate the Word and the intellectual processing of the Word until you actually are living in heresy. Because you've, you're, you're filtering God's actions through your mind. And you can do nothing but shrink wrap God if you do that. So what you have to do is allow your mind to be expanded through the scriptures and then say, Lord, the scriptures are telling me there's an experience to be had. I want that. So you define yourself by the experiences that are released through the scriptures, not through your experiences thus far. Does that make sense? Easter and the resurrection is profoundly disturbing. Let me show you this quick clip. You've seen it before. This is uh, C.S. Lewis going into Narnia. Okay, can we play it again, please? I'm going to talk you through it. This is what it looks like to live under an open heaven. This is the resurrection. This is what it was like, what Jesus did. Okay, this is the uh, entering into the temple. She comes into this room. The, the uh, Holy of Holies is covered by a veil. Against the window there's a fly that's dying and then dead. That is the overcoming of evil, the plagues. And evil has been overcome. It's, it's reduced to the significance of a fly. It wanted to be all-consuming. It's as relevant as a fly. She takes hold of that because the temple, when Jesus was crucified... The temple veil, the cloth over the temple, which is nine inches thick, was torn from top to bottom. So she pulls it down from top to bottom. Falls. That's why that view is there. Now this is the Holy of Holies. Nobody was allowed to go into this place except the priest once a year. She opens the door and what comes out? Mothballs. Because something has been kept for years and years and years. She's playing hide and go seek. She doesn't even know what she's doing. She's stumbling into the kingdom. But anyone can go in there now. And what does she do? She pushes through some clothes. Those clothes are actually made out of fur. They're symbols of the sacrifice. And she pushes through the sacrifice, the old sacrificial system, and she stumbles in to an open heaven, the kingdom of heaven on earth that God has released. This is where Jesus was leading us. A totally different realm. And from this time on, she can move from this realm through the cupboard into the old realm, heaven on earth. That's what it means to live under an open heaven. Jesus has opened up access to something that was never opened before. And it is totally different. This one is white, it's snowy. It's just the contrast is what's important. And once you've seen this realm, it changes how you see the other realm. And everyone is welcome through an open cupboard. We live under an open cupboard, if you like. It's profound, profound, profound. Because once you've seen that, so that's what hap that was what was happening in the beginning in the resurrection. Their paradigms had, had left them against the cross and against the tragedy of the, empty uh, of, of the tomb. And God came to the people he absolutely adored, his disciples, because there were no words to explain revelation. 
He had tried to, but they couldn't get it. They couldn't get out of their experience like you can't and I can't. Can you get out of your present paradigm to say, you have the potential for God's Spirit to live in you so that you can actually lay hands on someone and they'll be, they'll be healed because the Spirit of God lives in you. Your head says there's no way. And God has to work in us to transform us to begin to say, but there is because of Jesus. And instead of making excuses to protect our miserable lives, we actually start saying, Lord, burn everything that gets in the way because I want to live in that place. A place of hope, a place of joy, a place of purpose, a place of passion. And so the, the only way you can get to that place is it's got nothing to do with feeling guilty. It's got to do with getting hungry for something that you start getting a sense of there's more. If I can pray that God releases among us this morning hunger for more, then that will be cool. And so Mary comes. You see, Mary is like us. Where did you last see something that inspired you? Or where did you last find life? Where were you last? Go back to that place. And she's there and she's looking at the tomb and she's seeing everything, mystery and loss. And God says to you, where are you disappointed? Where have you given up on me? Where have you said, this is it, I was hoping for more? Get very real and specific. Then blame everybody else for your life. Where did you get disappointed? Where did you get hurt? Where did you go hoping something would happen and it didn't? And so you turn around and say, God, you do not care. Have the guts to look at it. Because this morning what God says is, I'm not upset by your frustration. I actually adore you. I'm standing right behind you. And you look and you say, they've taken him. And you're talking to the person sitting next to you. And Jesus is going to speak to you through them. And so he says, Mary, Rabboni, revelation. She holds on to him. And he says, don't hold on to me. Go and tell your brothers and sisters. Why? Because we always want to hold on to the revelation. Just you and me, Jesus, let's just be here forever. That's what Peter said when they went up on the mountain of transfiguration. Let's just stay here, build some shacks. And Jesus says, we don't live in shacks, by the way, but never mind, nice try. And he says, go and tell them. Why? Because he said, Mary... This is for a much greater cause than just you and me. But you don't get that now. And yet the much greater cause cannot happen until this happens. I need to embrace you one by one by one and then send you off and say, go and tell Simon and Peter, go and tell the others. And she runs over and what does she say? I have seen the Lord. And what do they do? What do they do? You understand that in the Middle East, to give the, w- the woman a message is very insulting. You don't tell women anything. Jesus was creating a new paradigm. The first person he speaks to is one who's least qualified because his grace is released through the cross. He doesn't have favorites, ma- male, female. It doesn't matter anymore. Go and tell them. And so he, she goes, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he, what, what he had said. He had said these things to her. What do they do? They don't really believe her. So they're still all huddled in this upper room. Ang- not angry maybe, but afraid certainly because they're, they're afraid of their circumstances quite justifiably. 
And what happens? On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, they were more afraid of their circumstances, quite naturally. They were more afraid of the people who could hurt them. What are you afraid of? Jump into, into back and forward. What are you afraid of? What's actually getting in the way of you and Jesus right now? You see, I believe, we, we all say we don't hear God. Every single one of you is hearing God right now. Every single one of you. And I'll tell you how, what you, God uses Satan like a sheepdog. So whatever's going on inside you is the clue as to what's happening. Not one of you in this room right now is not hearing God. I promise you that. I could call you up one by one. I'd interview you and I'd show you. You're either pushing away God or you're drawing close or you're not quite sure. But wherever you are personally is where you need to start saying, so what does it take for me to move to another place? And that's why your will is so important. It's nobody else's fault. It's you and Jesus. His desire is that you would know his life. There are other truths in you that are saying, I don't believe you. I tried it before. Or I'm afraid if I do this, then I will lose this relationship. Or I'll lose this job. Or I will lose this. And you, you, you rehearse all these excuses and consequences that are actually lies covering up. I'm scared of taking that risk. And what God would say to you this morning is, I'm a resurrected God. I've, I'm used to dealing with people who don't believe me. I am unbelievable. But I'm also used to meeting people where they are so they can find revelation and believe things that they never thought was ever possible. And so Mary comes and he, she talks to them. They don't believe him, uh, believe her. They're locked up because they're afraid and many of us live in fear of our circumstances and the people and Jesus appears through the wall to them. He showed them, he says, peace be with you. He stood among them. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. They were overjoyed. Jesus, now you're here, you're staying with us. Great, it's back to normal. And he goes, no, I'm here to show you that I'm alive. Now you're going to actually go and do something totally abnormal. But because you've seen me, you're going to be transformed. But the fact that you've seen me and the fact that you know that I'm resurrected isn't enough. So he blew on them the Holy Spirit, blowing fire into their beings to enable them to be what they couldn't naturally be. Many of us are arrogant and proud. We try to follow Jesus in our own strength. And so our whole experience of God is limited to the normal with a few Bible texts. And it's why it's so powerless. It's why it's so passionless. It's why it's so non-convicting. Run up to somebody and say, I have seen the Lord. And they say, well, what do you mean by God? And tell them an experience where God met me here. I was absolutely running down this road. And God, you will get people's attention. Don't give them Bible verses. Let them read you. But a great excuse for not growing ourselves is to start sort of always worrying about others in the wrong way. And so, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus was all about captivating you, sending you out and saying, there's so many who need to hear this. Go off and do it. You are little flame throwers now. Go. Set them on fire. Don't just huddle in here and have your little worship and do nothing. Go and set them on fire. But you better have my love in you. Because when my, my love is released with fire, it consumes the things that are wrong and it, and, it, and it builds up the things that are right. When my fire doesn't have love, it just burns people. And then you say that they're not being obedient. And they say, why would anybody on God's earth ever follow what you're proclaiming? It's unkind, ugly, and full of hatred and anger. And the loving God just walks in 
got to stop this. It walks in and embraces and sets them alive little bit by little bit by little bit. You notice he just doesn't appear to Mary. He comes to the disciples. Then he leaves and what happens after that? And then I'm winding down. What happens after that? God is so inconsiderate. What about Tom? Who knows where he was? It would be fun to hear what, what is, what's, what's your story, Tom. Why weren't you with the others? I went to McDonald's. Got tired of waiting. Didn't believe it anyway. You know what Mary's like. She's a bit of a flake. I mean, look what her background is like. Come on. I got so sick and tired of her sucking up to Jesus. And now she, why should she get the first one? You know, forget it. Who knows? Maybe it wasn't anything like that. Maybe he was going out to buy lunch for everybody else, was being actually really considerate. And he's the one who misses out. I don't know. Maybe Jesus said, Tom, I'll tell you later. I'll tell you why I did it when you went there because you were the only one who could really handle it. Peter would have gone ballistic. John would have sulked. I don't know. But so maybe it was an affirmation of John. Who knows? Anyway, John comes back and the disciples say, hey, guess what happened when you were gone? We experienced the presence. And John, I mean, Thomas goes, oh, well, bully for you. What about me? Anybody felt like that? What about me? And the good news is, what about me? He matters to God. So he, he, he makes him wait a week. It's a long time when you're looking for revelation. Everybody else is crowing about the cool thing. And Thomas says, unless I touch, unless I see, I will not believe. And I just want to encourage you to, to get more serious with God. What is the issue if there is one? And we get to plateaus. What is the next issue? What is the blockage? Tell him. Unless I... But by the way, when you tell him, you've got to tell other people. Somebody with flesh on. Because I'm so sick of this abstraction of God and me and the Holy Spirit. If you look at this resurrection, everything is through human beings. I reveal myself to Mary. Mary, you go and talk to them. You go back into community every single time. It's just not me and you. And my, you know, my wonderful experience. Because you're not reliable enough. And so... Jesus then comes into that room again and says, Tom, touch me. He said to Mary, don't touch me. That's why the formula is so wrong. God does things in all kinds of ways. So, we're done. Why are we going, going through all of this? When, you remember when Jesus, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit? How did Genesis start? Out of dust, breathed life. Ezekiel 37, dry bones, breathe life. The only way that we can come to life is through the presence of the Holy Spirit, breathed into us, from God, into who we are. So, let's stand. Let's pray for revelation. Let's pray for God to do things supernatural among us. He's not going to force you. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. So Jesus is right with us right now. He's right in front of you. I say this every time, many times I do this. When, we, when we're here right now, this is the opportunity to encounter or have God touch you supernaturally. I'm always amazed how many of us are just looking around and you go, you wouldn't recognize Jesus. He's standing right in front of you. He's wanting to actually impart everything you need to you right now. And you're checking out some other person. Come on. So Father, I just want to bless your presence and I want to bless the encounters that you have for each person here right now. So the question that he's asking you is what, what do you want? 
Now this is a loving father talking to his kid who he adores, right? He's not angry with you. He's not disappointed in you. He's not saying to you, oh, why did you leave the room? He's just saying, how can we grow in our friendship and come more alive? What are you scared of? What are you thinking if you actually take another step with me? This is going to happen. He's a good, good father. He's a good, nothing he has for you is bad for you or is negative. Most of the things we hold on to are the things that destroy us. Maybe we have questions. Maybe we, like Mary, we're disillusioned. We're mystified. That's all right. He's rolled the stone away from his grave so that you can come in. Will you roll the stone away from the graves that are still in you so that he can come in? So, Father, I just speak to lies. I speak to long-held belief systems. Anything that causes us to keep you out. In the name of Jesus, we break the lying spirit. We break fear. We break all the things that cause us to believe that it won't happen for us. And I ask, Father, for the release of a spirit of revelation among us today. A revelation of your goodness, of your love, of your sufficiency. Receive from the living God. Receive. How do you receive? Don't worry about feelings. Those are almost irrelevant. They're not a measure of truth. They come along. For some of us, we have too many. For some of us, we have too little. Feelings are not a measure of anything. They're not a measure of God's Spirit present here. He's here because He promised. Now open your heart and just say, Jesus, I open my heart like you opened your tomb. And I don't even maybe know what to say to you right now. So I ask you to begin the conversation. Search my heart, O Lord. See if there's any unclean thing in me. Psalmist said. Just give him room. Give him room. You're placing yourself into the hands of a supernatural being of whom you have never seen and who you will never understand, who has given us a pinprick of revelation through Jesus of what he's truly like. And he says, trust me. I am the warrior, I am the lion and the lamb. And I absolutely love you. And a lot of your stress and a lot of the things that are in your life that you're struggling with are because you won't let me carry you. So I ask you, in the shadow of the resurrection, will you begin to trust me in deeper ways? Walk with your brothers and sisters and see what happens. So, Father, will you release revelation of your goodness, of your life? Why we do this slowly is because we're not praying a prayer. We're actually asking God to encounter us in our hearts. Because the same Jesus who embraced Mary and walked through those walls for Thomas and his friends is the same one who's here right now. And he said, we are blessed because we're going to believe without seeing. But we have heard. And he will touch our hearts. And if you don't sense something now, I I just encourage you 
Just thank Him that He's at work in you. Thank Him that He's giving you resurrection life. Thank Him that He's answering your cry. And then watch what happens through the week as you walk with a sense of anticipation. So Father, I pray for your fire to burn in this place. So as we do from time to time, place your hand on the person next to you. Don't speak to them, just speak blessing. It's like this kind of roaring fire that flows through us into one another. Just may the blessing of God the Father rest upon you. Pour into our brothers and sisters your life, your truth, your love, the revelation of your goodness. Speak to those, the couple who are feeling helpless, hopeless and despairing. And I just break that in the name of Jesus. Let hope rise up. You are included. God knows your name like he knew Thomas and he's going to meet you right where you need to be met. I bless that encounter, Jesus, in your name. I bless that encounter. I pray for testimonies to rise up. We have seen the Lord in a whole lot of new ways. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, do what you do because we can't. I break all condemnation. I break all old mind patterns that tell you, oh, I've been through this before. I break it in the name of Jesus. This is a new season. God is for you, not against you. If he could resurrect and release a woman like Mary, he can touch every single one of our lives with ease. Let's just speak blessing, blessing, blessing. And dare God, dare him. You know, do something. I'm always daring God to shake me and rock me and make me fall on the ground in front of you all because I don't care. In fact, I'd love that. Father, just take me and use me. Take me, fill me. Take me, do stuff with me so that I'm alive. I want to burn. So, Father, we bless you, bless you, bless you for what you're doing among us. Thank you that you're faithful. I mean, we just don't understand you, but that's a good way to begin. I don't understand you, but I love you. And because I love you, I trust you. Because I trust you, you can have everything in me. And I trust you even with the process so that the things I don't want to let go of, you'll actually help me let go of until eventually I do. So we bless you, Jesus. Bless you. And we just say, Jesus, you have permission to make this place into a supernatural fireball. So here we are before you together. Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Jesus. We pray healing over one another. The the people here with all kinds of afflictions, release healing in the name of Jesus. Release healing in the name of Jesus. Nobody should be standing on their own, by the way. I will name you if I don't see you cuddling up to somebody. But nobody should be on their own. Um, Sometimes the people with the greatest needs are the ones who isolate. So if you see somebody on their own, please draw them out of that. I'm not. I'm going to bully you, but it's only because I care. So don't let anybody get away with. Oh, I'm just forget that one. Thank you, Jesus. We want the blessing for everyone. We're hungry for you. And Jesus spent six weeks assuring the disciples, appearing to 500 people altogether before he finally ascended. Because ultimately he says, we are are what's left. Now we have to do what he did. So Father, thank you. Thank you. 
Let's uh, the worship team come up and we're just going to go straight into singing a song of declaration. The rest of you just stand. And Jesus, we just speak your presence into this place, your power. I speak healing. I was going to just speak healing. Don't get up. We're not finished yet. We're just about to finish, but we're maybe never going to be finished. If you need pr- if, if you need prayer for healing, there are people to pray at the back, but we're just going to say, Lord, will you release your healing spirit among us? We speak against every form of sickness. We confess to you our unbelief and we're not going to be defined by our unbelief and we're not going to be defined by our experience thus far. We're going to actually be hungry for more that we haven't yet experienced because we're not going to defend our weakness. We're not going to defend our unbelief. We're just going to say, so far, this is what I believe. But Father, I want to believe it all. So we ask for your supernatural presence to release healing among us so that the words we read in the scriptures come to life So we come against all sickness, all disease, body, mental, mental, physical, psychological, in the name of Jesus. We let the chains come off in the name of Jesus. So in that spirit, let us declare his goodness and his grace. How great is our God. How great is our God. We bless you, Father. Thank you. To you be all glory. Amen.